Welcome back to Getting to the Bottom of It. I'm Sejal Govindarao. And I'm Max Porter. This week, we're taking a look at survivor-centered, student-written D.C. legislation that aims to break the cycle of campus sexual violence on D.C. college campuses. The legislation has four main provisions we'll be diving into that would change GW campus policy if passed by the D.C. Council this session. The major points of the bill follow a national framework laid out by Every Voice Coalition, or EVC. EVC is a national organization that was created in 2016 by a group of students, survivors, and college alumni originally in Massachusetts. It has five core policy solutions that its respective EVC state directors, students, and survivors adapt and revise to best fit the state's laws. Yes, so this legislation has been passed as state law in Connecticut, Illinois, Maine, Massachusetts, New Hampshire, and Nevada. And our reporter Grace Eichel spoke with GW senior Mathena Jenka, the co-state director for Every Voice Coalition, who led the effort to revise and adapt this legislation to fit D.C. laws. So Grace, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. So Grace, just to start, in your conversation with Mathena, what did you gather about these policies? Yeah, to start with a rundown of the legislation, Mathena discussed the four major policies adapted for D.C. from EVC's national framework, which are outlined in the bill's text, also found in the Google form, which is currently collecting signatures. The first provision calls for transparent public data through anonymous biennial campus climate surveys so that the institution of higher education can identify impacted groups, tailor solutions to the campus community, and test effectiveness of the prevention programs. The second calls for amnesty protections for reporting parties to ensure no student gets in trouble for a minor school rule violation that may have occurred at the time of an incident. The third would implement confidential advising services in the form of confidential resource advisors that can help clarify a survivor's rights and options and support them in navigating the complex process of accessing resources and understanding their rights. And the fourth, annual evidence-based prevention and awareness programming to empower all members of the community to take action to respond to and stop sexual violence. And these provisions of the bill are being proposed for D.C., as you mentioned. How have they been adapted from EVC's national framework to fit D.C. laws? She told me all the policies in her legislation are basically a mirror image of EVC's national framework. And if passed with the D.C. Council and eventually signed by Mayor Bowser, GW will be legally bound to each of its provisions. Mathena said one of the policy proposals, the amnesty rule, is actually similar to one of GW's policies, which excuses most drug and alcohol violations for students who report an incident of sexual violence. But she said the legislation makes a major difference at institutions like Catholic University, which prohibit same-sex relationships and premarital sex. The main focus of the amnesty policy is usually around drugs, alcohol, and in some universities' cases, same-sex relationships. A lot of survivors feel that they could be punished or even victim-blamed for coming forward. So the biggest difference is the Uh, language that's included in the policy and the fact that it would be legally mandated. Um, GW does have an amnesty policy when it comes to drugs and alcohol and also sexual violence, but um, there are also 
rather vague terms attached with that. A lot of the amnesty policies, the language that's used is like in general, and that's kind of the key term. So it's not always, it's not every case. There can be exceptions and it's not a guarantee. Um, With our bill, the only case in which a student wouldn't receive the amnesty is if the situation is egregious enough that other factors come into play outside of someone reporting sexual violence. So were there any provisions that didn't make it through the drafting process? Yes, a Memorandum of Understanding, or MOU, didn't make it through the drafting process. For context, a college or university that signs an MOU with a rape crisis center enters a legal agreement of mutual support. It would cement a partnership that would connect student survivors with medical and legal advocacy and counseling services. Mathena said MOU didn't make it into the legislation because the agreements are typically reserved for campuses in sparsely populated areas with less access to healthcare networks, unlike the range of options in a city like D.C. The one policy that we did have to take out, unfortunately, was a memorandum of understanding with a rape crisis center. So if there were an MOU between a rape crisis center and a view and a university, then they're legally obligated to support each other. So if there was a student that needed a certain resource, then they would be able to 100% go get that resource from the crisis center. No university in a major metropolitan area like DC or New York or Philadelphia would be able to obtain that MOU. It's really for, um, universities that are kind of desolate. Like for example, um, ASU, if there's only one rape crisis center near there, then that's one of the only resources that a student can um, use. And so it's a lot easier to create that legal contract. So DC has a very interesting network of resources when it comes to sexual violence prevention and also advocacy and um, resources. So there's NVRDC, there's the DC Rape Crisis Center, there's the hotline, and then there are multiple hospitals. And legally, it would have been impossible for a university to have a legal written agreement, uh, the MOU, with that many resources. Uh, We tried to find a way to make it work. It just, because of DC's network and it being in a city, is not possible. And to the point she was making, Oregon's legislation, which is active in the state's 2023 legislative session, has a memorandum of understanding in their bill's text. So now where's her bill at in terms of its timeline, its likelihood of passing? So last summer, Mathena and her team at EBC's DC branch began this process by researching these provisions, meeting with community organizers and legislators to see how they could shape the language to craft a bill and reflect DC legislation. They're still refining the bill to ensure it matches the legal language that's usually used in DC, which is typically done by DC council members and legislators. 
What is the anticipated timeline for the DC Council passing this legislation? And how does this process work? You know, I really wish that I had a timeline as well. <laughs> um, it's a very slow moving process as is anything in the government when working to pass a bill. So it requires a lot of patience. Hopeful fingers crossed that this legislative session we see movement. If not, then the summer can't be sure about anything, especially when working with passing legislation. We're talking and meeting with council members currently to um, find and solidify sponsorship. So that's the first step. And then once there's sponsorship for the bill, the bill can be um, introduced. Once the bill is introduced, then it will be looked at by the council, revised, uh, go through that revision process. And then once everyone agrees, then it'll be passed. Mathena couldn't disclose the council member she's met with, but she did tell me she's met with five who are currently in office, one of which she is hoping to sponsor or co-sponsor the bill. She said her goal is to obtain sponsorship before the summer recess, which begins on July 15th. She's also been leading the bill's promotion on GW's campus. Just a week ago, she released a form for GW students and organizations to sign in support of the bill, and currently it has 200 signatures. American University's form has 100 signatures. She and her co-state director, who attends American University, are aiming for 1,000 signatures from each campus. They also have a steering committee composed of 10 different students from Georgetown American GW who are collecting signatures and are in the process of connecting with students from Howard. Notably, GW SASA, Students Against Sexual Assault, has signed onto this form. The form asks respondents to share an optional short statement of impact explaining the importance of this bill to them and their community. Respondents have to disclose their name in order to show evidence of support and affiliation with their university. But if they share a statement of impact, that statement can remain anonymous. I truly appreciate um, the statements that people have provided and the honesty of their feelings regarding the bill and the work that we do and also um, how they feel about their campuses in general. I think a lot of the statements resonate with a lot of other people. There you seem to have a lot of common trends of not having the typical support that a survivor should have on campus um, and how a survivor should have never had to experience what they experienced. Well, Grace, thank you so much for coming on today. Thanks for having me. We'll definitely be keeping an eye on any movement with this legislation this session. That's all we have for today. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.